Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. So, uh, in Matthew 24, in verse 1, it starts out, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to to them, Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So so to start off with this little piece of prophecy, we know that this was fulfilled back in 70 AD when uh, General Titus uh, of the Rome and the Roman army went in and destroyed Jerusalem. Pastor Ed touched on this stuff when he, when he went over it, and we know they, they destroyed the temple. And from the writings of Josephus, we know as the temple burned that the gold that was in the temple melted in, in between the stones and such. So the soldiers, as they, as they were greedy for the gold and went after the gold, they took that temple apart and the rubble apart stone by stone. And, and ripped it all apart and, and literally fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus gave here. In verse, in verse 3, he says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things come to be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things will come to pass. But the end is not yet. So when people come against the word and and try to explain things away, they say, we've always had wars. We've always had rumors of wars. Uh, We've always had um, these types of things coming, people coming and saying that they're the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. And yes, that's true. But I think specifically what Jesus is telling us here, that time will pass. He ends that verse, those verses with, but the end is not yet. And I think he's specifically telling us, yes, you'll see these things. You'll see people coming in and saying that they're me. You'll see, uh, wars and rumors of wars and crazy wars. So we've had the world wars, but, but he's telling us that, that the end is not yet. And he, he's specifically giving us that, that time frame. In, in verse 7, he says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Jesus explains here kingdoms rising against kingdom. And he mentions famines and pestilences and earthquakes. And now we're in the middle of this. You could consider it a pestilence. In the word, when the word pestilence is used, it's usually referencing a fast-moving or, or a deadly sickness. It was used um, in, when Moses and uh, in Egypt, the pestilences that came upon the Egyptians. And we're told that these things will happen in various and diverse places. So all over the world, we'll, we'll see these things happening. And we're beginning to. We're, 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 we've been seeing it for a long time, but we're still seeing it. But verse 8, as he continues there, says, All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. And as 
our pastor told us when he was going through this, this section that the beginnings of sorrows, those words that are used there, are referencing a woman uh, in labor pains, a woman having the, the pains of labor. So what Jesus is telling us here is that as we get closer to what the disciples asked him about, the end of the age, we'll see these things happening more intensely and, and more frequently. And the, as he told us that nation will rise against nation, this is something that we're seeing really specifically right now. The word nation, the Greek word that was written, in, written there is, is the word ethnos. The word ethnos is, is really translated people groups. It's the same place we get the, the word ethnicity. And boy, are we seeing that today. Seeing ethnic groups, the different um, races rising up against each other. And, and we know, we've seen it for years, racism is real. And it's powerful. And it's the most divisive tool used by the enemy. So we have to be very careful. And, and yes, it has always existed, but now we're seeing this on a worldwide scale. We've seen it in the past. There's been race wars. There's been um, wars that have been fought over these things in the past. But now we're beginning to see this on a worldwide scale. But as believers, we must remember that we're children of God. Even though we know that this stuff was going to come, the Lord told us about it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the Lord said, He chose us. He he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his, of his will. So that's what takes precedence over everything else for us as believers. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. In John 13, Jesus tells us that by our love for one another is how people will know that we're his disciples. In verse 34 of John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that you also love one another. In 35 it says, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Another, another scripture that the Lord took me to when, when I was looking at this was Romans 12, verse 9, where he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor and giving preference to one another. As we're seeing these, these things happen in our nation and all over the world, um, pastor Ed chose as our book of the month for this month a book by a pastor named Miles McPherson. He's the pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego, California. He, uh, the book is titled The Third Option. If you haven't gotten, uh, gotten it, I suggest you get it. It is a great book where, where he goes over uh, the division that comes with racism and this kind of thing. He, he's, he wrote this years ago. We read it as a staff a couple years ago when he wrote it together, and, and now we're, we went over it again recently. But in that book, uh, Pastor Miles makes a really eye-opening point. He reminds us that what Jesus said about the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, the greatest commandment 
is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees was actually recorded in three of the Gospels. It was recorded in Matthew 22, in Mark 12, and again in Luke 10. And like I said at the beginning, the repetition, when the Lord gives us something in repetition, we know it's important. Um, But Pastor Miles, in his book, the final point when he discusses that section is that if if we label someone anything less than neighbor, we've given ourselves permission not to love them. The word that that he's referencing from Matthew 22 is the Greek word plesion. So I was wondering about, well, who is my neighbor? Because we get that in in our nation today. Well, who is my neighbor? Who who do I have to show love to in this way? Plesion, that word, there's a couple biblical definitions that, that I found for it. One of them is another person where two are concerned, the other, thy fellow man. So that's pretty vague and pretty general. And the second one is from a Bible dictionary where it talks about how Christ used that word neighbor and and the ways he used it. And that definition was any other man, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. So as believers, that's how we are to treat our neighbors, not just our other believers, which we're, we're going to be known um, for our love for our brothers and sisters, right? But he also tells us to love our neighbor as ourself, and that's the definition of it. Every other man, love them as ourselves. So that, that's, that book that Pastor Miles McPherson wrote, uh, The Third Option, is, a, is an amazing book, and it really eye-opening to show some of the stuff we're going through right now as a nation. He also references that God created man in his image. So all of you, all of, all of us in this room were created in God's image, correct? So we do have differences. We all have differences, many different differences. But the main thing, the, most, the biggest commonality that we have is all of us were created in his image. And I love that in his book that he points that out to people and says, that's what we need to see in each other. God's image. I need, I need to see God's image in each and every one of you. No other differences. None of them matter because none of them are as powerful as the image of God. So that's our biggest commonality is his image. We'll jump back in, in verse 9. In verse 9 he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There's a... a a group called Open Doors USA that monitors Christian uh, persecution, which is exactly what we're talking about here in verse 9, that they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This organization keeps track of religious persecution of Christians. And when I looked it up, they just released the 2020 watch list. The 2020 watch list is a, a list of the 50 nations in the world that are most, where Christians are persecuted the most. So it goes over just those numbers of the top 50 nations. Every month in those top 50 nations, 249 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons. I've heard people say that we're facing more persecution now as Christians. Christians, not, not us in the U.S., we're not really facing persecution yet. 
But as Christians, Christians are facing more persecution now than any time in history. 249 Christians killed every month in this world. 790 church buildings are burned or attacked every month. We have seen a little bit of that here in the U.S., but pray for our brothers and sisters in this world. Pray for our, our fellow churches. 790 getting attacked. Of the numbers they had listed there, 309 Christians are detained without a trial and imprisoned. We look at injustice that, that, that we've been discussing here in our nation. 309 Christians detained without a trial and imprisoned. So just a reminder to keep, keep our brothers and sisters in our prayers all the time. Uh, there's actually 2.4 billion Christians in the world today. That's a lot of people. But of those 2.4 billion Christians, 260 million Christians experience high levels of persecution. All information I got from that report. But that represents one in eight. One in eight Christians are, are experiencing high levels of persecution. So, so when the, the Lord brought me to this, uh, I was really worried about it. Because I'm like, our pastor just covered this text. And... and but, but he kept bringing me back to it. So it's just a reminder to us of where we are in our world today. Uh, it took us about a year and four months. Pastor Ed took us through the book of Daniel, where he covered a lot of prophecy. A lot of this stuff he also took us through, through Matthew 24 and, and some other verses covering prophecy during that time. And it really got me thinking about what we're supposed to watch, because we're not, as much as it seems like we are, here in the U.S., we're not the centerpiece of God's attention. We know what it is, and that's Israel. So it got me thinking about Israel. Um, one of the ways that, that I've heard it referenced is that if you look at our time clock to see where we're at um, to, the, to the end of, of the coming of the age, like is referenced here, that if, if we looked at it as a clock, that the hour hand would be Israel. And the minute hand would be Jerusalem. And the second hand would be the Temple Mount. So it's just an interesting way to, the, to see the way things are revolving around Israel. We can really tell where we're at uh, in biblical history, where we're at today. So to see what's going on in Israel right now, let's turn uh, back to the Old Testament and jump to Ezekiel 38. As you guys are turning there, the interesting thing when we look at scriptures like Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, which talks about uh, a war that's to come, uh, nations, five different nations attacking Israel from the north. Uh, the real interesting thing about that is very likely this, this happens after the rapture. So we're seeing this. We're going to go over a little bit of this and seeing all these nations align to, to attack Israel like Ezekiel 38 tells us about. It likely happens after the rapture. And the reason most teachers and scholars believe it happens after the rapture is because eventually, we won't go that far today, but eventually the Lord intervenes in the attack that comes against Israel. And, and it's not that another nation steps in or Israel's um, amazing military takes people out, but, but it's that the Lord actually intervenes and saves Israel miraculously. So, so if you keep reading through chapter 38 and 39, you can see how the Lord intervenes. It's pretty amazing. Hailstones and uh, 
just a, a, a totally miraculous intervention. That's why people believe it's after the rapture, because it's, he intervenes in such a powerful way. Also, as we're reading Ezekiel, it's interesting to note that e- the book of Ezekiel, we believe it was written about 600 years before the time of Jesus. So about 2,600 years before today. We're seeing things align today that were written about 2,600 years ago. So that's just an interesting note to think about as, as we go over this. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your, fa- your face against Gog of the land of Magog. The, the land of Magog, we believe, is, is southeastern Russia near Georgia. And it references the prince of Rosh, Meshach, if I'm saying that correctly, and Tubal, which would be Russia also, um, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So Israel's currently surrounded by all these nations, but not bordered by these nations. The, the, as I said, we believe Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, the way it's, it's written there is Russia. But the word Rosh isn't actually a nation, even though it might sound similar to Russia. Um, this was written in Hebrew, right? And Hebrew, the word Rosh actually means head. Uh, if you think of, uh, I believe it's September 18th coming up, is the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, the Jewish New Year. So we know that word Rosh um, actually means head. So he's saying the head of Meshach and Tuval, which those are, are nations that we know currently lie where Georgia and, and Russia are. But in verse 4 it says, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws. And lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, which we know today as Iran, the, the Old Testament area of Persia is modern-day Iran. Ethiopia, which would be modern-day Sudan, not, not our current Ethiopia. And Libya, which would still be Libya, um, are with them all of them with shields and helmets. Gomer, which we would know today as Turkey, and all its troops. The house of Togomar, uh, which would also be Turkey. From the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. So these nations that we're discussing here, these five nations, uh, Russia, Turkey, Ethiopia, Iran, Sudan, uh, with Libya, they actually... um, They've never been aligned militarily. There's been one or two when they fought other people in the past, but today all of these nations are are starting to form alliances militarily, which we've never seen before. They're working together. They're friends, which we haven't seen before. The other interesting thing about these verses is there are certain nations that are left out. None of these nations we're discussing actually border Israel. The ones that border Israel would be Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. But they're not included in this, in this attack that's going to come against Israel, right? You would think that they would because in the past, every time Israel's been attacked, when we look at the seven-day war, when, when we look at, at when Israel became a nation again, Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, all Muslim 
based countries, run countries, they've all attacked Israel every time another nation has. But this time they're not, which, which doesn't make sense because it's never happened, but now we're seeing that come into play. Jordan, currently friends with Israel. They're currently on, on a good side of Israel. They actually trade um, and trade natural resources and such. Egypt, same thing. Iraq, they're in no place to attack Israel right now. Syria, same thing, no place to attack Israel. Lebanon, same thing with Gaddafi getting thrown out and stuff. They're, they're in no place to attack Israel. So that was just an interesting point. Not only the things, the nations that are going to attack Israel, but the nations that are left out of this war because they they're normally would have attacked Israel in the past. And then in verse 7, the Lord goes on and says, Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the later days, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. Desolate, They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell in safety. Again, we see another prophecy here that has already been fulfilled. The Lord prophesied that Israel would get scattered throughout the world. And they did. They were scattered. They're the only nation to ever come back to their homeland, just like the Lord said that they would. And he brought them back to a land that was desolate, just like he said. When we look at Israel's history, that land that they call home now was totally desolate. Uh, I believe it was Mark Twain that wrote about it back in the day, and, and he said he doesn't know how anybody could have even lived there. But he brought them all back, and now they dwell in safety. Surrounded, yes. Surrounded by all these nations that don't like them, yes. But defenseless, they're not. Israel actually has multiple ways that they're defended uh, in modern days. They have multiple missile defense systems, ballistic missile defense systems, known as the Iron Dome. Another one known as David's Sling, which of course references King David, and the Arrow. They have stealth technology, nukes. They've never been this safe before. I was actually in Israel this year. I got to go for the first time, my wife and I, uh, in February, right before COVID broke out. It was just starting to, to show, rear its ugly head. But we were there in February. And one of the nights that we were in Jerusalem, we went for a walk to a place called the Shuk. It's a market where they have shops um, and fresh fruit and nuts and things like that. And we went and we went shopping with some friends. And it, as we're walking back from the Shuk, it was pretty late at night. And we're walking in Jerusalem. At, it was after 10, almost 11 at night by the time we got back to the hotel. And um, literally as we're walking back after 10 at night, there's kids walking out in the streets by themselves. And there's kids playing in the streets. As we got closer to the hotel, there was some apartments and stuff. And there's kids playing in the streets after 10 p.m. at night. And, and immediately the Lord, as we're walking back, I told my friend that it, we're, I was, we were walking with, I said, isn't there a scripture about this? That the kids will play in the streets again? And, and so when I got back to the hotel, I looked it up. And, and sure enough, in Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah in chapter eight, um, the Lord is talking about bringing Israel back after they've been scattered throughout the world. 
And when he does that, he says that he's going to bring his people back to Israel once again from the east and from the west. And in verse 4 and 5, he's, uh, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Old men and old women shall, sit, shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. And that night when we were sitting in the hotel, I wrote in my Bible next to that verse, even at 11 p.m. Because <laughs> I thought that was just amazing that he, we don't, that doesn't happen here in Aurora. It doesn't happen mostly anywhere in our nation, right? To think of kids playing in the streets at 11 a.m. As much as we hear in the media today about Israel being such a dangerous place, it's not, I, I can attest I was there. And we'll be going back again. I won't be going back again, but the church will be going back again. Um, we're starting to have the meetings to go back again in February. And it is not, I felt safer there than I do here. Not that I'm not safe in, in Aurora. I love our city, but, but I did actually feel safer there than I did here. Um, in verse 9, it says, you will ascend, uh, I'm sorry, and I'm out of Zechariah, back in, back in Ezekiel 38, verse 9 says, You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops, and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan, and you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled, unwalled villages, and I will go to a peaceful people who dwell in safety, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, again a reference to that, uh, them coming back into their nation, and against a people gathered from nations who have acquired livestock and goods and who dwell in the midst of the land. So here the Lord's speaking directly to Russia, to Gog. And he says in, in verse 12 that they'll come to take booty. Russia is actually a huge nation, right? And, and they have a lot of natural resources. They have, I believe, more natural gas than any other nation. Uh, a lot of oil, that's their, their biggest exports. R Russia actually, their economy is based on exports. Just like China is, they're, they're, everything's based on exports there to, to run their economy. And in Russia, their largest export, 52% of their exports is oil and natural gas. And the reason that I bring that up is, is yes, they do have much more natural gas and oil than Israel, but that hasn't stopped Israel from striking export deals with Greece, Cyprus, Egypt, and Jordan in particular. Other ones coming. Because in 2009, Israel discovered an enormous store of natural gas in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, there was enough that Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu uh, their prime minister, actually came out and said that um, he compared that discovery when he announced it to the people as manna from heaven, referencing the, the Torah and the Old Testament. But even Iraq, Iraq gets 45% of their energy from Iran's natural gas. But with the, as we look today, our nation putting sanctions against Iran uh, and, and stopping them from trading, 
Israel's looking to fill that void too. So we're seeing Israel, this tiny little nation that's already got an amazing economy growing and finding this natural gas and different things. And um, so we possibly could see what the incentive might be that Russia would attack a nation because the other nations that, that are involved in this war are all Muslim nations. That makes sense. They, they, they've, the Muslim nations have always attacked Israel. Iran in particular says that um, their leader has been known to say that he wants to wipe Israel off the face of the map. But Russia doesn't have that. They're not Muslim-led. So there, there has to be an incentive. And the Lord says here that they're coming to take booty and to take uh, riches from Israel. In verse 13, it says, Sheba and Dedan, which is the, the area of Saudi Arabia, and the merchants of Tarshish, which Tarshish, we believe, is, is uh, a city, Tarstesos, outside of Spain, is, is the popular thought of that. Um, and their young lions will save you, will say to you, I'm sorry, no one will come to save them but the Lord, but they'll say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold? to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder. Now the Saudis, they're actually Sunni Muslims. There's two different factions of Muslims in the world. There's Sunni Muslims and there's Shiite Muslims. Iran, they're Shiites. And Saudi Arabia is where Mecca is. And they've always refused to even acknowledge that Israel is, has the right to exist. But now they're becoming more and more friendly with Israel. And here in the word, we know that they're going to, the only nations to speak up on behalf of Israel when these other nations come to attack them to take their, their riches. Even as of last week, as early as last week, um, if you know who the United Arab Emirates are, the UAE, they're a nation that's right next to Saudi Arabia and very, very powerful nation. They started uh, talks with Israel. Um, our president actually negotiated talks to have uh, what they're calling a peace treaty. Not that I, I don't believe it's the peace treaty that, that is referenced in the book of Revelation, but, but the, all this is coming together. The United Arab Emirates in that same area of Saudi Arabia that would be considered Sheba and Dedan coming to speak up on, on behalf of Israel. It's just amazing to see these things coming together. Uh, and, and as we look at, at these things that, that, that we've brought up tonight from Ezekiel, from um, the book of Matthew, I really believe we're at that, that point. That point that the disciples talked about when they asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? we very likely could be the generation that, that sees that end of the age. When, when I was growing up as a believer, um, I always thought that it would be such an amazing thing to live in the time of Jesus, to, to be maybe one of the 5,000 that he fed, to be sitting in and, and listening to Jesus teach. And it would be. But, but it's really interesting to think that for all of us, he chose all of us to live in this time. He chose all of us to very possibly be the generation of people that might not ever die. 
that might actually be raptured. So that's why I bring all of this stuff up today, to see where we're at. We see that we're at the end of the race. We see we're at a point where the, the end is near. We see these things happening. We see that all these nations coming against Israel. We, we see that our, the rapture's coming first. So we're seeing things set up for Jesus' return after the rapture. And it, it, what kept coming to my mind as I was studying through these scriptures and praying through it was that, that we're at the end of our race. And, and what do you do at the end of the race? My first, as I was thinking about it, my first thought is, oh, it's, it's, it's almost done. Let's relax, because I'm not a runner. I'm not one to, to be running. It's time to, to walk this out just to finish it. But no, when we're in a race, we want to finish well. And it's time to run. It's time to sprint. And, and when I started thinking about that, about being in a race, the Lord brought, brought to my attention Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's what the, what the Lord brought me to, is we're at the end of our race. And, and I've gone through, through, through the, the scriptures a little quicker than I expected, so I'm actually going to ask Ian to, to come up and, and begin to close this out. But as, as we finish our race, we want to finish it well. So... I want to give the opportunity that if, if anyone's here tonight that hasn't committed their life to Jesus, that has uh, um, not accepted him as their savior and wants to take, take on that race that he's laying before them, I, I w I'd like to invite you guys to the stage tonight. If you do come up to the stage, know that with social distancing and everything, that, that we're, I'm asking that, that if you're okay with that, come up to the stage. If not, as we dismiss people, you could stay sitting in your seat and pastors will come to you. But if, if that's you, if you have not given your life to Jesus to run this race that he's setting before you, and you're coming to that realization that yes, we are in the end times, please come up. Also, if you do have a relationship with the Lord, and you, but you're coming to that realization that I, I haven't ran, I'm not running the race, I'm not doing what the Lord has given me to do. I want to open that invitation to you also. To come up, to make that that take that stance for the Lord and say, I'm ready, Lord, to do what you have for me, to run the race that you're setting before me. So if you're, that's your state that the Lord has you in tonight. As, as we see this world unfolding, as we see COVID and we see all this 
things going on in our world that, that just cause us to, to be filled with fear. There's no need for that fear. We know that, that the Lord is the one who's in control. But I'll let Ian play for a bit. And if anybody, if the Lord's tugging on your heart to, to rededicate your life to the Lord and run that race, please come up. For the sake of those on Grace FM and those online, if you want to make that dedication to the Lord tonight and dedicate your, your life to the Lord, there's three things you need to do. Acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior. Acknowledge that, that you're not good enough and that you need Jesus. Believe that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again for you and for your sins. And lastly, confess that Jesus is your Lord and repent and follow him. So if anybody wants to stay behind for prayer, um, as Ian finishes closing this in, in worship, the prayer team and, and the pastors will come up and be at the stage if you want to come up for prayer. And if you're not comfortable coming up, that's okay. Stay sitting in your seat as you're dismissed and uh, we'll come to you. Pastors will come to you for, for prayer. Yeah, thank you guys. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.